So we're doing a series at the moment, on the, or I'm doing a series on the subject of stewardship, which is really ask, answering the question, or seeking to answer the question, what are you doing with what you've been given? Actually, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian here today or in one of our sites. What are you doing with what you've been given is an incredibly important question for our lives. If we want to make an impact on this world, if we want to leave a mark, if we want to feel like we've realized some of the potential that is within us, what are you doing with what you've been given is an incredibly important question to ask and try to find answers to. And today we're looking at stewardship of something that all of us have got less of now than we did when we came in earlier on today, and that is time. We're looking at stewarding time, and we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5. Just to give a bit of background before I start reading, and while you find your place in the Bible, and it's always fair game to look at the contents page, by the way, if you're not sure where the book of Ephesians is. But the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he doesn't know whether he's going to be executed in the short term or whether he's going to be released and live another 20 years. So time, strikes me, in that kind of environment would be a very valuable commodity. He would value every moment that passed by. And he's writing with that perspective. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, which is about... Yeah, anyway, I'll just get cracking. Be very careful, he says, then, how you live. Not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which just means a whole load of nonsense. Um, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, if we want to use our time well, how would we be best, better stewards of our time? Uh, a few years ago, my wife Taryn was in Tajikistan, uh, uh, meeting with some Christians there, who is a very dangerous place to be a Christian there. And so she went there, it was a very high risk quite dangerous thing to do to go and meet with other Christians there and uh, so while she was away I'm at home thinking oh dear you know I'm I'm really really nervous about what might happen and I I what do you do when you're trying to pass the time and try not to think about the fact that your wife might be being tortured or you know executed what she said shut up anyway uh, what, what do you do? Well, what I did was I was surfing the internet and I was looking for things and and I I basically found a car and I thought, well, I've already got a car, but that seems to be a nicer car. And before I knew it, I'd click the button that said chat online with an advisor. And so I was talking online to this guy or girl, don't know. And uh, within minutes, I had agreed to swap my perfectly good car for a whole other new car. And, uh, and Taryn knew nothing about it. We've now done the marriage course, so that maybe wouldn't be, you know, have happened in quite the same way. But anyway, so fast forward a week, and I'm driving six and a half hours in the driving rain down to Nutsford in Cheshire to swap my existing car, perfectly good car, for a car that I didn't really need. And uh, it was a really long drive. I was absolutely exhausted by the time I got there. I'd got up really early. And when I got there, they'd completely forgotten that I was coming. 
And so for three or four hours, they, you know, got the car ready, polished it, I don't know, whatever, serviced it, things like that. And then they took me for a little test drive in it. I went for a little test drive around Nutsford and then got back to the, the uh, car garage. And I just happened to look at the dashboard and they told me that the car had... 27,000 miles and when I looked at the dashboard it actually had 57,000 miles and so after a little I'm going to call it a conversation it was a, you know, more or less a conversation uh, I got back into my original existing car and I drove all the way home again I'd been out of the house for 18 hours what a waste of time the point is none of us want to waste our time none of us want to get to the end of our lives and think what did I do with it what did I do with my time? What, I wish I hadn't used those hours or those weeks or those years on those things. And so we've got to figure out how do we become better stewards of our time. The first thing, uh, it seems to me, in this passage is that we need to learn how to live wisely. That's in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. We said a few weeks ago, and this is a very crass, very broad brush picture, but I do think that the Bible in general uh, paints the picture of wisdom or explains what wisdom is in these terms. That fundamentally to live a wise life is to live a life with the long term in view. So the, the foolish builder builds his house on the sand. It's quick, it's easy, it's done in a few moments. It, you know, he's done it because it's a straightforward thing to do. But he's had no regard for the long term when he knows, of course, that it's going to start raining and the storm is going to come and the sand castle is going to fall down. That's a stupid way to live. The wise builder builds his house on the rock. It takes longer. It's a pain in the neck in the short term. But in the long term, it makes perfect sense. So to live foolishly is to, is to just live for the now and to not think about what happens later. To live wisely is to live with the end in mind and to make all of our decisions now on the basis of how will this look in the context of the whole of my life or in the context of the whole of eternity. It seems to me that that discipline of living with the long view is absolutely essential when it comes to being good stewards of our time. You will have heard that saying, no one ever got to the end of their life and wished that they'd spent more time at the office. And equally, no one ever got to the end of their lives and wished they'd... uh, uh, Oh, I've got this all wrong now. Uh, Everyone gets to the end of their life and thinks, I wish I'd spent more time with my family or more time with my children or whatever it is. Do you see, it makes perfect sense. It's so sensible to think about how will this play back when I'm at the end of my life and I'm looking back and I've got, you know, time is at a premium. Incredibly important. And yet for so many of us, we're just not living like that. And there was a, a whole bunch of surveys that have been done about how people spend their time. So the average person in Britain today spends 24 hours a week watching TV. So one whole day a week, literally one whole day a week watching TV. The average person in Britain today spends more time online than asleep. Wow. You see, we're not thinking about, how, will I be glad that I've done this? Um, there was an, a, a survey done by Samsung. It was called the Time of Our Lives Survey. And it, it kind of extrapolated, that's a long word, extrapolated all the way to the end of our lives, uh, how we're using our time right now. So, for example, it said the average person in Britain today will spend three years on social media. 
235 days we're going to spend queuing. Maybe slightly less in other countries, but in Britain we've got that down to a fine art. Eight months laughing. We're going to spend eight months laughing. Hopefully slightly more if you come to this church. And five weeks arguing. Wow. And so here is the Apostle Paul in prison. Doesn't know how long he's got to live. Very acutely aware of the passing of every single moment. And he says this, be very careful how you live. Ultimately, what we're talking about is minimizing regret, minimizing future regret. We're we're talking about playing this forward in our minds and thinking, how will this look at the end? An incredibly important thing, also slightly morbid. So we'll move on. Number two, rescue the time. You might think that this is a slightly strange passage to use when we're speaking about time because the word time doesn't appear to come up anywhere in the passage, but that's where we would be wrong. Because the the Greek word for time, which is kairos, is right in the middle of this passage, in the middle of verse 16. And there's this little phrase that the New International Version that we use in this church is translating as make the most of every opportunity that is actually uh, has the word time in the middle of it. And that it can be translated in one of two ways. One of them is make the most of every opportunity that we'll talk about in a minute. But one of them is redeem the time. A whole bunch of translations use that instead. Redeem the time. Buy, buy back the time. Rescue the time. The question is, what does our time need rescuing from? Or who does our time need rescuing from? On the day of the big gathering that we had when all of our sites came together, uh, Mike Pilavachi came round to our house for lunch afterwards and all of our site passers came over as well. And we were having lunch together. It was a really great time. And quite a few of our site passers have got little toddlers. And so there was loads of little toddlers just running around, hiding under the table and all of that. And one of the th- things that really struck me about these little toddlers is no one ever, ever has to teach a little kid how to say, Mine! You know, that can, comes kind of naturally, doesn't it, to children? Mine! Give it back! It belongs to me! It's mine! Why is that? Maybe it's because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin and selfishness. And so ultimately, uh, in our broken humanity, part of our nature is that we tend to turn things in on ourselves. Like the, the, the trajectory of our lives can so often be towards us. It become, all of our, the way that we use everything that we have becomes inward, self-absorbed, self-focused. We live in the world of the iPad and the iPod and the iPhone and iTunes. It's all about me. And if we're not careful, our time also follows that trajectory. We use all of our time on things that are ultimately about me. And I love, I love this little idea that that Paul says, rescue your time. Like send a little rescue team into your calendar, into your diary and rescue it from that trajectory of inward and self-absorption and self-focus and start to think about how could I take that time and give it into God's hands and how might it be used then? I've just found that incredibly helpful. Simon Ponsonby, who I have often said I think is the most brilliant Bible teacher in the world, he's written an amazing um, kind of a devotional commentary on the book of Romans, which I think is absolutely excellent. And in it, he says this. 
the mark of sin is to be self-serving. The hallmark of the redeemed people of God is a life laid down. Rescue the time. Okay, that's the second one. Number three, maximize the time. So in the same way as the word that comes immediately before kairos, time, can be translated as buy back the time, it could also be translated as buy up the time. In, in other words, just use it all. Um, which is where the NIV gets that thing of making the most of every opportunity. I had a dream the other week, and this maybe says more about me than it says about anything else, but I dreamt that Cadbury's had uh, decided that they were no longer going to produce biscuit boosts. And in my, this is only in my dream, this is not in reality, but in my dream, I was sitting at my dining room table and I'd had my laptop open and I was going on Google Maps and I was trying to figure out the fastest route possible to go past every petrol station, confectioners, supermarket in the area. It was like a, a kind of a, um, a, a challenge, a puzzle. You know, I needed an algorithm of some sort to figure out how I could rescue every biscuit boost in the locality in the shortest possible time before anyone else did. And then I was just driving around every place, just you know, sweeping biscuit boosts off the shelves and just, just emptying them into trolleys. Again, you know, let's hope that there's no interpretation for that dream. But I think that's what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say, don't leave any biscuit boosts on the shelf. Don't leave a single minute on the shelf. Make the most of every single one. Make sure every single minute in your life has found a home. Make sure it's got a purpose. Paul says, literally, buy up the time. And I think that's the sense that the NIV is trying to capture. Make the most of every opportunity. I think actually this letter to the Ephesians is a case in point. So the Apostle Paul's in prison. And whilst he's in prison, he's uh, been helped and and served by a guy who's a runaway slave. who's called Onesimus. And he's become a Christian and he's been serving Paul whilst he's in prison. And Paul says, listen mate, the time's come. You need to go back to where you ran away from and put things right. And so he writes a letter uh, to take with this guy Onesimus, to take to his master, who, you know, to say, look, this guy, he's become a Christian. He's a brother in Christ now. I want to send him back, commending him. And that's called the letter to Philemon, and, uh, which we have in our New Testament today. And whilst he's written that letter, he's thought, now where does Philemon live? Oh, that's right, he lives in Colossae. There's a whole bunch of church people who live in Colossae. I should write a letter to them too. And so he writes the letter to the Colossians, which is also in the Bible. And then, whilst he's thinking that, he's also thinking, actually, hang on a minute, where's he going to stop off on the way to get to Colossae? I know he's going to stop off at Ephesus. And so I'm going to write to all the Christians who do church in the region around Ephesus. He's making the most of the time. Do you see? I think it's a great example it reminds me of my granddad, who used to say that whenever he was tying his shoelaces, he used to think, now what could I do while I was down here? <laughs> Making the most of every opportunity. Um, so I think it's a great question to ask. How could I make the most, how could my time have the greatest impact? Because of, case, of course, the case is true that on the one hand, we could spend hours and hours on hours on something that has no impact on anybody, doesn't change anything. And then sometimes we can spend just a few moments on something that has a massive impact. 
And so I think that's a really helpful question to ask. What am I doing that has the greatest impact? We, we could spend weeks on that question, but let me just give one tiny example. So let's say you're in church today in Inverurie. God bless you in Inverurie. And whilst you're there, you're looking across the aisle and you see one of your friends and, you, and just as you're thinking about them and thinking, oh, that's, I love them. I'm really glad they're in my church. Um, the Lord just drops a little verse of scripture into your mind. And so when you get home, you take out a little postcard and you write them a little note. You say, hey, Barry or Larry or Harry or whatever his name is, I love the fact that you're in my church. I just wanted to just write you a little note because I was looking across the aisle at you today and this verse of scripture came into my mind. Don't know whether it means anything to you, but I just thought I'd drop it in. So how long has that taken, including putting it in an envelope and putting on a stamp? Maybe five minutes, ten minutes at the most. You've got to post it as well, right? But it's, yeah, so you, you post it on Tuesday. The postman delivers it to Barry or Larry or Harry and they, they open up this little card and they sit on the bed and they just have a little cry and they just think, how did they know that that would be so relevant to my life in this moment? And then they take that card and they put it on the mantelpiece and it stays there for a couple of weeks or a couple of years depending on how neat freaky you are and then you know, after that, you think, I don't want to throw that away. That's too precious. I know I'll, I'll stick it on my bathroom mirror or on the fridge or something like that. It stays on the fridge for another couple of years. And then after that, maybe um, if you're a woman, it then goes into your Bible with all the other shrapnel that exists in your Bible that's sort of adding to the Word of God in a, in a mostly godly way. And, you know, every couple of years after that, when you're just reading the Bible, pick up your Bible, this little card falls out and, and they pick it up and they encourage once again by just the content of that note. Do you see 20 years of blessing for 5 or 10 minutes of activity? Incredibly useful question to ask. How could I maximize the time that I have? What do I do in my life that has a big impact? And how could I do more of it? Number four, last one, spend time according to God's will. That's in verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what, the, what God's will is. We've said several times over the course of this series that for us as Christians, our understanding of everything that we have is that it's not really ours. Everything we have belongs to God. So it's not my house, it's God's house. It's not my car, it's God's car. I'm just, I'm just using it. I, he's let me borrow it, but it's God's car. She's not my wife. I mean, she is my wife. I, I always get to go, she doesn't belong to me. She belongs, anyway, I, I, I'll just stop digging. The point is, everything that we have is really God's. And that is especially true of our time. God chooses the moment of our birth. He chooses the moment of our death. He chooses every heartbeat, every breath that he gives us. All of our time is, in a sense, uh, God's and entrusted to us to invest on his behalf. And so we've got to start thinking about, well, if it's really God's time, then he'll have a view on how I spend it. And the degree to which I align my life with God's will and purpose for my life is the degree to which I'm being a good steward of it. So it becomes incredibly important to find out well, what is actually does God want for my life? What is, what is he expecting? Uh, what is he hoping for my life? And then to try to live according to that will and purpose. 
And so the theologians divide God's will. If we want to say, well, what is God's will for my life? The theologians divide God's will into two categories. And I found this incredibly helpful as I've been thinking about this whole subject. The first aspect of God's will for my life is what the theologians call his general will. So in other words, this is God's will for all of us, for all of time. is what he's clearly revealed in this book. You know, God's will for us is that we would um, go and make disciples of all nations. His will for our lives is, is that we would love and serve the least of these, his brethren. You know, his will for our lives is that we would be salt and light in the world. His will for our life is that we would sell your possessions and give to the poor, uh, and so on and so on. So there are loads of things that we know that God has revealed for us. That, that he, and the degree to which we align ourselves with his will and purpose in this book is the degree to which we'll be faithful stewards, faithful servants with what he's entrusted to us. And so this book becomes incredibly important. You know, you can go on Amazon. The Amazon warehouses are absolutely chocked full of books on how to maximize our potential, you know, and how to leverage or leverage, depending on, you know, where you're from, uh, your strengths or how to overcome your weaknesses or how to be good, five ways to be a good parent or ten ways to be a good boss or whatever it is, the, the so-and-so rule and the something or other principle and the, this and the, that and the other law. And, and all of those things might be helpful, but ultimately the book for us as Christians if we want to be faithful to, with God's time, is this book right here. Incredibly important. His general will. But on the other hand, so we have his general will for all of us, but we also have his particular will, his, his specific will for you that's different from the person that, who sat next to you. I read a sentence in a book about this concept of his particular will, and it if, I, if it hadn't been in a book written by the late, great John Stott, who is the sort of uber-father of the evangelical movement, then I would have thought it was absolute heresy. And when I read it, I was like, oh, that, that can't be right. And then I thought, John Stott wrote it. Anyway, I'll, give, I'll, I'll let you hear it, and then you'll see what you think. He says this, God's general will is found in Scripture. That's what I was just talking about. The will of God for the people of God has been revealed in the word of God. Okay, we're all, we're all comfortable with that. We all think that that's true, don't we? And then he says this, but we shall not find his particular will in scripture. Oh, maybe, maybe you just think, well, that's obvious. But for me, I just thought, oh, that, that's, that feels a bit uncomfortable. And this is our book. This is how we find out what we do with every, all of our aspects of our lives. But of course, it's absolutely true that... Uh, this book doesn't tell us whether we should live in Aberdeen or Inverness. And it doesn't tell us whether we should be part of the worship team or the welcome team. It doesn't tell us whether we should play squash or cricket. But almost certainly the Lord would have a view on all of those things and many more. And so we've got to figure out how do we find out what God specifically wants for us as individuals in order that we could be good stewards of our time. Um, we're going to be laying hands on Thomas and Mary Urquhart. Hi, Thomas and Mary, in the, in the summer. 
and they're going to take a team, actually an increasing, a team that's increasing in size by the day to the point where we might have to say you can't take anyone else. But uh, No, I'm only joking. It's lovely that there's a group of people who are saying, actually God's calling me to go to Inverness too, but we can't wait to lay hands on them and, and for them to move to Inverness, to, to uproot, uh, uproot their kids and to sell their house and to move to a whole new community, to do that and to give hours and hours and hours of their time for free to that purpose is a spectacular use of their time. You know, that, that represents incredible time management, incredible stewardship of their time. And for them to not go, given everything that God has said to them about going, for them to not go and to stay in Ellen and to pass to the people in Ellen would be a tragic mismanagement of their time. So do you see how critically important it is that we find out what it is that God is asking of us? How would we do that? If, if his general will is found in the book, how would we find out his particular will? Well, I think, again, there are weeks of sermons in that question. But the thing that struck me most is intimacy with Jesus. We find out his particular will for our lives by proximity to the Saviour. Um, John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Or John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We want to find out what he wants for our lives so that we can use his time wisely. We find out from the book, but also we find out, find out by bringing ourselves daily, regularly, towards Jesus, so that we can hear the voice of the shepherd leading his sheep. Why don't we stand?